Hello everyone, I'm Phineas Crow, and this is Postmodern Crisis. Today I would like to talk to you a little bit about fear. Fear as an addict was the primary thing that motivated me. I was a fear-driven creature for most of my life. I didn't work because I really wanted to work, because I really wanted to do anything. I worked because I was afraid of being broke. I was afraid of not having enough money. I was afraid of being stuck living in my mother's Winnebago. I was afraid of being alone, and so I would get into relationships. I operated on a level of fear all the time. It was the only thing that drove me. I was afraid, to some level, every single day of my life, for a very long time. Probably since I was about, I would say, 14 or 15, if not before. I grew up in a household that was dangerous and it was violent, and I often would run away. And by run away, I don't mean that I, I packed a little knapsack and I, I went and rode the rails. I mean that I had, I cultivated friends specifically so I would have some place to go to get away from my household. That's it. I didn't care about those people. I didn't even like those people because it didn't matter if I liked them or not. I liked them well enough, I suppose. But really, they were a tool for escaping my fear. They were a tool for escaping my house. And that that kind of fear translated into my entire life is I was always trying to escape. As an addict and an alcoholic, that's what drove me, is, is I didn't want to feel the way I felt. I was afraid of how I felt, and I hated being afraid all the time. And that's, that's why I would imbibe liquid courage and take drugs is so I could feel nothing. Because nothing was better than the fear I felt all the time. Now, I don't think we all suffer from the same level of fear, but I think we all have it. And I think many of us, and when I say all, I naturally don't mean if you're a psychopath who doesn't have any fear whatsoever, good on you. I, I can't really speak to you. But those of us who do have fear, especially in a modern society, I think we live with that terror as our primary motivator. We're afraid of the rent being due. We're afraid of not being able to pay our mortgage, not being able to feed our kids. We're afraid of being homeless. We're afraid of being jobless. We're afraid of a lack of security. We're afraid of a lack of love. We're afraid of a lack of kindness and compassion. My mother, for whatever reason, continues to cultivate friendships with people she loathes and complains about endlessly. And yet, and yet continues to see them. Why? I guess because she's afraid of being alone. But really, I don't know why it is, why it is that she chooses to live that way. But a lot of us do. A lot of us are with spouses that we don't care about and don't even like in some cases. A lot of us hate our lot in life because it wasn't one we chose. It wasn't one we wanted. It was one we got because we were running away from something, not towards something, we were afraid that our parents wouldn't approve. We were afraid that we weren't going to succeed. I was terrified of making this podcast. Why? Why was I afraid of sitting in my home and essentially talking to no one? I have no idea. Because I just was. Because I had expectations that I wouldn't be good enough. Because I kept telling myself that I didn't know what to say. And that's it. Is, is for years, I was completely stymied. I'm a writer by vocation. I think I've mentioned that. And... I was terrified of getting into that. People told me over and over again, you should you should start writing. Just put it down on the page. Get it out there and, and you'll find work. And I refused to listen. Instead, I stayed drunk and I stayed alone and I stayed frightened and I stayed in terrible jobs working at hotels and gas stations and wherever would have me that kept my expectations low because I was afraid. 
And all of us live in a degree of fear. And I think I think the fact that so many of us take medication for anxiety and depression, I think those things are partial manifestations. Yes, they are partially biochemical, but I they are also, at least in me, partially the psychological manifestation of my own terror, my own fear of living, of trying to live, of being myself around people. I may not know who I am, but when I have to repress every single desire I have, every single instinct I have, when I just, I just want to make a joke, or I want to make friends with someone, or I want to try to be nice to someone, and I end up second-guessing myself and third-guessing myself, and a lot of us do, merely because we are terrified. Why? We live in this wonderful society where we should be free to do whatever we want. And, I mean, within reason. We should be free to do anything that isn't harmful to anyone else. We should be free to engage with life and enjoy our existence. And yet so many of us live in these tiny little boxes. Literally, I, I barely leave my house. Because I, I'm uncomfortable around people. I'm afraid of what they're going to think. I'm afraid of what they're going to say. And so I, I stay hidden. Or even in hiding in plain sight, I will go out and maintain this veneer. And I think a lot of us do that. It's, it's all of us who when somebody asks how we're doing, we just tell them fine. We maintain this external look of we're okay. And that's, that masks fear. When we refuse to admit, and that's, that's why so many people end up killing themselves. And there is an epidemic of men in particular, who tend to be the most emotionally repressed, killing themselves as they get older. And that's a lot of that is fear. A lot of that is we're unable to reach out for help. We're afraid of what people will think. We're afraid of being judged. We're afraid of being stigmatized by society. We're afraid of being alienated. That fear, I was in prison for a year. And I, I was afraid at first when I got there. Uh, because prison is inherently terrifying. You don't know what to expect. And there's a bunch of big, scary, tatted up dudes. But after I was there for a little while, it was a relief. It was a relief from normal life because I didn't have to, once I learned the system and learned the people there, I didn't really have to be afraid anymore. As long as I kept my head down and I kept my mouth shut, for the most part, I could survive just fine in prison. But that's it. Fear on the outside, it came rushing back as soon as I was released. And that proved to me Exactly what I had kind of always suspected, but in prison, it's a relief because the walls and the bars are real. Out here, we don't see them, but I was still trapped. I was still trapped living in fear on the outside, and I think many of us are. I think many of us suffer from that, and it's terrible for us. It destroys our lives because we are, we are constantly running away. We are constantly trying to hide. We are constantly trying to just make the fear stop. And we're dealing with this low-grade reptile brain, monkey brain reaction all the time. This terror that keeps us anxious and keeps us worried and keeps us fretting and destroys our sleep. And there's nothing most of us want to go back to so much as the blissful ignorance of childhood. And I think that's why we see in our society quite so many people who have nostalgia for their childhood and they want to, they want to engage in a lot of escapist fantasy. They want to watch comic book movies and shut out the news and shut out the world because it feels big and terrifying and we just can't look at it because we are very small creatures. And that terrifies us and it should terrify us. But having it ruin our lives also makes it worse. 
And that leads into the one thing that makes fear worse, I've found, is the harder you fight against it, the worse it becomes. You can't really battle fear. My experience has been that you can't really battle fear. We think that what we should do when we're afraid is we should fight that fear and, and try to ignore it and try to shove it down and try to push it away. And that's the antithesis of what we should be doing because in repressing fear, it never leaves us. The more we whistle in the dark and the more we try to hum it off, the worse that fear is and the more it grows and it festers inside of us. And that fear starts to come out in other ways. It comes out as anger. Anger is a secondary emotion, often caused by fear, caused by fear, caused by pain, caused by frustration. That's where anger comes from. Rage is not a, a primary emotion. We may have it as a fight response. It may be driven in the same area as fear, but that's it. It's the exact same part of our brain. It triggers a, a fight trigger is the same as a flight trigger. It's still fear-based. It's still dumping adrenaline into your body because you're afraid. They're the same adrenaline. It's just a different direction. In being afraid, I was generally afraid of two things, and they were very simple things. I was afraid that things would change, and I was afraid that things would stay the same. And I think that's most of us, is that fear that either, either we're going to be alone forever, we're going to be stuck in our crappy apartment, but, but by the same token, we're afraid that one day we're going to be unable to work, we're going to be too old, too infirm, no longer pretty enough, no longer sexy enough, our, our hair is going to fall out, fear that we're going to be replaced by the demons from across the river, the immigrants who are going to come in and take our jobs. Fear in that way drives hatred because it's ignorance of the future. And that's, that's another thing I've heard said is that fear is ignorance. And I found that to often be true. The, the less you know about something or the less I know about something, the more it frightens me. The more that there's an X factor, the further my poor little imagination and our imaginations for as broad and deep and powerful as they can be, oftentimes keep us just petrified and little else. Those keep us afraid because we don't know what the future holds. We don't know what the outcome's going to be. And so we follow the safest possible course just to try to ameliorate the fear. And in doing that, we never stop being afraid. Locking our doors and, and barring our windows doesn't stop us from being afraid because there's always that thought of what happens if it's not enough. So I've found what's actually anathema to fear is not fighting it. It's not repressing it because that's still letting fear control you. When you're trying to get fear to stop, when you're trying to change your environment to make fear stop, my experience has always been that makes it worse. That compounds it. Whereas in dealing with and accepting the things that we're afraid of, the things that terrify us most. That's why they use immersion therapy, is facing your fears isn't about getting rid of them. It's about accepting this is a thing. I, I'm hydrophobic, uh, and I used to be hyper-socially phobic, and I still have issues in that regard. But when I was afraid of water, it was because water was out of my control. I didn't know how to swim. I dealt with panic every time I got into the water, and, and it, it always felt like I was completely out of control. And so I could fight it and fight it and fight it. But in fighting with it, it never got any better. And so I ended up just avoiding it for the longest time. Then last summer, my girlfriend took me out to the lake and taught me how to swim. And it didn't get rid of the fear entirely because some of that is still built into me. 
that 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 phobia will never completely abate but in learning to control it in gaining more knowledge of how to operate with the water i i became less afraid of it and that's true in most situations in learning more about a situation the more you know the more empowered you feel to cope with it and the easier it is to accept it the easier it is to allow that fear to be part of your life but not control you it controls you whether you're running from it or toward it it controls you if you're if you're constantly doing battle with fear in one way or another through evasion or combat you're still living with it it's still driving you it's when you accept it it's when your fear becomes just another part of you it's just another feeling that's when you start to learn to control it it was when i could accept i am afraid I'm afraid to swim. I'm afraid to get into the water. I'm afraid of what people will think that I'm a grown-ass man floundering about while some four-year-old goes and breaststrokes his little ass right by me. I was afraid of that. I was afraid of how I looked. I was afraid of how it made me feel. And all of that kept me afraid. Fear perpetuates itself the longer you give into it. But accepting, okay, I am afraid. Now I must work in the solution. I must start making steps, not fighting with it, but taking steps to help make that fear better help deal with that fear not try to force it out not try to bar it from my home not try to make sure that water never enters my life not to make sure that i never get onto a boat but to allow it into my life in a controlled environment in a way that gives me more knowledge and more power to deal with that fear if you're afraid and and look i grew up in a tiny white community in the mountains so I, for a long time, was terrified of other cultures and, and people of different colors. I was, I was just afraid of them. And I never took it into a, a racist area, but I was still frightened. Then I lived in Cleveland, and I found, oh, they're just people. I, I lived in the ghetto of Cleveland. And the people there, nicest people in the world. Yeah, I'm sure there, there's plenty of scumbags, but there's plenty of scumbags in boardrooms who are lily white and and will smile while they stab you in the back or stab you in the face or stab you wherever they can stick a knife and get a dollar. The point is that in, in learning about something, we often get rid of a lot of the fear. That in and of itself, we accept the fear and learn more about the things we're afraid of, immerse ourselves in it, and it no longer has the power to terrify us because it's no longer unknown. That's the single greatest fear is the fear of the unknown. Whatever, whatever we're afraid of, that's why death terrifies people so much, is they're afraid of what's going to happen next. That's, hell, religion is founded on fear. It's founded on the notion of, no, everything will be okay. And it controls you by saying, and everything will be good, if you are good. It's a great way of getting people to fall in line because you say, hey, you know this thing that nobody knows anything about? We know the answer. We know the secret. And if you follow our rules and abide by our principles, then guess what? You get to go on to this eternal reward. And you, we've seen eternity. We know because this being told us about it. And so that, that fear is controlling. And that's a good example of exactly how fear can control us. Because even if you take God and religion out of the equation, that's why we're afraid of death. That's why we're afraid. And people are afraid of public speaking. They're afraid of how they're going to look. They're afraid. And that's ego-driven fear. And that's really scary. That really terrifies us. Because mortal fear, mortal danger, is not nearly as frightening to us as is the fear of our ego being damaged. Because if you get up to give a speech in front of an audience, first off, the audience is almost entirely on your side. They want you to be good. They want your speech to be good. They want they want you to succeed, generally speaking. They're They're sitting there. They want to be entertained or 
be happy or whatever. They, they don't want you to get up there and bomb because it makes them feel badly. And so, so people who are afraid of public speaking, and I understand, I've, I've never had that particular fear myself, but I understand that fear of public speaking, but that's ego-driven fear. And that's, that's the worst part is when the fear interfaces with your ego, and then you're afraid of what people are going to think, what's, what people are going to say. You're still afraid of the unknown. You're afraid of what they're going to do, what they're going to believe. And you're afraid that you're not going to be good enough. That suddenly you, who was a wallflower, who could hide in the shadows as much as you wanted, now you are going to be exposed and everyone's going to realize you're a fraud or you're going, they're going to realize that you're incompetent and you're not as smart as you thought, as you convinced everyone you were. And yeah, so that's, that's ego-driven fear. And that's another huge facet of our fear. But, but it's still fear of the unknown. It's fear and that's where fear of other people comes from. We don't know what's going on in a little black box in other people's heads. And so we become afraid of them. We fear other people because we don't know what's going on with them. And we're afraid of ourselves because we don't know that we don't really believe many times that we're good enough or smart enough or, or pretty enough or whatever enough. And that's, that's the difference between confidence and, and cockiness or ego is when you realize how good you are and can just accept that and accept that people are better, people are worse. When you can accept yourself and you can accept your fear, that's often the path out of it. I've found whenever I'm worried about something, whenever something is vexing me, the best way to deal with it is to let it just flow through me, is to not run from it, not try to fight it. It's to just sit and let the fear run its course. The fear will take care of itself if it's allowed to express itself. Once you've accepted it and accept that it's going to happen and you let it happen, that fear will eventually burn itself out. It can, it can only run for so long before eventually it gets tired. If you sit there and fully, fully experience it, just let it happen. Just sit there in the fear. Let the terror run through you and over you and around you. Then I have found, and this may not be true for everyone, if you suffer from panic attacks and things, go see a doctor and, and try to get that straightened out. But letting the fear in and around you stops giving it so much power. Because oftentimes we're afraid of the pain that the fear is going to cause. We're afraid of it. We're afraid of the fear itself. We have nothing to fear but fear itself. And we're afraid of it. And in being afraid of our fear, we don't experience it and we don't let it. It's there for a reason. It just needs to be allowed to run its course, and then it's been accepted into your life, and then it's not so frightening because now it's just another thing. Once, once that feeling, once you have gone into the depths of despair and terror and realized, oh, I can survive it, and really, it's not that bad. It's not going to kill me if I go through it without a drink, without a drug, without someone to hold me while I weep. It's going to get better then. The only way past it or over it is through it, not fighting against it. I've often found that another way of coping with fear is because worry, worry and anxiety, those low-grade fears that, that just gnaw at us day after day after day, those, those are almost worse than the, like the big panicky, God, my life's going to fall into catastrophe fears. It's the small, God, my kid's going to grow up wrong. My, my baby's going to come out with a deficiency. I'm, I'm just not good at my job and people are going to realize it. Or it's those little anxieties, those little day-to-day -day fears that often it's still fear of the unknown. It's still fear that tomorrow or an hour from now is going to be so much worse. Whereas cognitive reframing, this is, this is where cognitive reframing comes in, is that helps in that if you can tell yourself, 
okay, what are the good outcomes? What are the potentialities? Realistically, what are the potentialities? Now, none of us are very realistic about our own lives. That's why it helps to have a realistic friend. If we have somebody we can bounce things off of, who can tell us when we're right and tell us when we're wrong, so that we can just get another point of view. Once we alter our point of view, oftentimes fear will dissipate and worry will dissipate. My girlfriend was worried about her boss and what's going to happen there. And she managed to find a way to start thinking differently and start believing, okay, he's doing the best he can. He wants to be good at his job. He just hasn't figured out how yet. Now she has sympathy and empathy for his position. And that helps him. That facilitates her ability to no longer feel afraid of what's going to happen, but to feel sympathy for him and to accept the situation as it is. And when we can cognitively reframe, it's very easy to say that things are going to always fall apart. And addicts and alcoholics are very good at catastrophization. And I think a lot of people are. We always want to see the worst. Pessimism runs rampant. And I'm not telling you to go around seeing the glasses half full or half empty, but that, that same mentality is helpful in that it cognitively reframes. If you can tell yourself a different story, and in not knowing, in fear being based in ignorance, what we do is we try to ameliorate that ignorance by creating a story, by creating a fiction in our minds that, that makes us feel better. But the problem is that's just a fiction. And oftentimes it's that fiction that keeps us afraid. We're trying to prepare for the worst, but not telling ourselves what might happen that is good. We're not altering the story. We're not flipping the script, as they say. And oftentimes, if you can do that, that helps get rid of the maybes that make us crazy. Maybe tomorrow will be terrible, but maybe it will be wonderful. And once you accept that you have a binary, you can, if you want to think of it in, a bi in binary terms, you can think of it as maybe things will get better. Maybe things will get worse. All I can do is the best I can do today right now. And once you've accepted that that's the extent of your control over what happens, then the fear starts to dissipate. The fear starts to go away when you've accepted that I can only do what I can do. And if that's very little because you're depressed, because you're down, because you're beaten, then it's very little. If all you can do today is a couple of sit-ups to try to make yourself feel better and maybe a walk around the block, if all you can do is, is just talk it out with somebody and just whine and just vent, then great. That's the best you can do. As long as you're trying, trying is the majority of the battle. It's when you try to ignore the fear. It's when you try to make it stop that it, that it absolutely wins. That you look at terrorism, and that is precisely what terrorists want. It's the definition of what they want is people that are afraid. They want to make people afraid. And as soon as you try to turn a blind eye or, or even, even go out and fight you're, you're acting afraid. The best way to fight terrorism is to just live your life, not to, not to crusade against it. Because once again, that's still letting fear control your actions and turn them into anger and turn them into rage and turn them into hate and bigotry and have us start concentration camps and give up our liberties and our freedoms to the government who says, we'll protect you, we'll save you. That's still living in fear. The government, after a fashion, this isn't a conspiracy, the government in a way, is the biggest terrorist of all because it fosters our terror. You look at every politician and they say, I will make this stop. I will make this better for you. They want you afraid so that you will then believe that they're the ones who can fix you and save you and protect you. When the truth is that they cannot make tomorrow brighter. The only thing that can make tomorrow better for you is changing your perception. 
is looking at things from a different perspective and saying, okay, maybe they will get better, maybe they will get worse, but I am going to be as good as I can today and the rest of it can just leave me alone. And I'm going to accept that I'm afraid of what's going to happen, but it might also be great and that cognitive reframing, just in trying it, will help you feel better. You can also work on gratitude. That's another tool that, that uh, a lot of re recovery programs teach is gratitude helps ameliorate fear in that what you do is in feeling grateful for what you have, you stop being afraid that it's going to fall, that it's going to go away because you have it right now. You have love right now. You have joy right now. If you choose to have it, there's something in your life worth being happy about. It's warm out. It's cold out. Whatever. You, you have somebody you know, you have a hot meal, there's something to be grateful for. You're just still breathing. As long as you're still breathing, there's still hope. And I, I let me tell you, I was afraid of hope and I hated hope for the longest time because hope helped keep me alive. I wanted to die very badly and I wanted to kill myself. And I had just enough hope that things were going to get better that I couldn't do it. And I realized that things actually weren't going to get better. All I could do is see them differently. All I could do is see them as better. All I could do is try to make them better in the tiniest, tiniest fractions of ways possible. That's all I could do. That's all any of us can do is just try to make things a hair's breadth better today than they were yesterday. Just be a tiny percentage better than we were. And we will stop having to worry quite so much that we can't control it. Because if we give in to the fear, if we let it just roll over us and we try to duck and cover from it, we're hiding away from fear. But if we accept that, okay, we are afraid, but here's one tiny thing I can do, one tiny thing I can be grateful for, one tiny idea I can have that will help change that fear. I can cognitively reframe. I can, I can be grateful for something I have. And I'm less afraid then because I go, hey, you know what? I've got this thing that's really good. I've got a bed tonight. I've got a roof over my head. I've got air to breathe. I've got fingernails so that when I itch, man, when I get an itch behind my ear, I don't have to try to get my leg up over my shoulder like a dog. Be grateful for that. In addition to gratitude, uh, another thing I've heard commonly is that faith is the opposite of fear or fear is the opposite of faith and that faith can help people deal with fear. To a degree, that may be true. And when I say faith, I don't, I don't mean faith in a God. I mean just faith in yourself, faith that something will get better, faith in the universe, faith in something greater than yourself, faith in the future. Uh, and there's a lot of different ways of looking at that. But, but faith, the, the technical definition of faith is generally confidence with the express lack of evidence. And that, that can be risky. If you're, if you're trying to combat the story in your head with faith, with, with belief, uh, that may work uh, if you can do it. But if you're, if you're very secular, if you don't necessarily believe that things are going to get better, then it's, it's kind of tough for that, for that to, to take, take root and really help you get rid of fear. That's where that's where educating yourself and eliminating some of that eliminating some of that ignorance can be a little more helpful than just having faith. But by the same token, turning things over to to the universe, turning things over, and this is a this is a precept that's used very often in recovery, which is which is using a higher power. That's why most twelve step programs advocate the use of a God or a higher power of some kind. And the point of that is to turn things over 
to to the universe because we all control very, very, very little in our lives. We control some of our actions. For the most part, we don't control our thoughts. We don't even control our beliefs. We don't control our feelings. We can learn to control our behaviors somewhat. Uh, and so cognitive behavioral therapy can, can help you with that. It can help you identify the root causes of fear and try to come up with a, a way. Once the fear passes through your, your hypothalamus and, and gets into your prefrontal cortex, once you have time to think about the fear, well, that's where you do cognitive reframing and cognitive behavioral therapy can help with that. Uh, so, so faith does have a place, and if it works for you, I certainly say try it. I certainly say if, if praying over a matter or talking to the ceiling over a matter or talking to the universe about a matter or talking to the great Tao about a matter uh, can, can help you get rid of it, then absolutely. Uh, if you can just, if you manage to just trust that things will get better or things can't get any worse, then, then okay, that, that may work, but sometimes that can lead us astray. So you have to be very careful with that. You have to be very careful in blind faith. Um, so faith, faith with good works, faith with, with action, faith with eliminating some of that ignorance can work very well. Faith, the faith can help salve your feelings a little bit, and then, and then you can add in the intellectual aspects to it. Gra along with gratitude uh, and all of those, especially when used, no, no one of these things is necessarily, there's no panacea for dealing with fear. All of these used almost on a daily basis, I've found, can, can help mitigate fear and help create, create gaps in our thinking so that the fear doesn't become overwhelming and allowing it to move through us. Something I was thinking about today is we're, we're electrical beings, and I think I've touched on this before, but in that, things are supposed to move through us. They, they do. Matter moves through us. Uh, we use it and then let it go. Fear has a place, but it's not a place we should live. And so if we're holding on to fear, if we're holding on to any feeling, even trying to hold on to joy, all of that is, is problematic. So if faith, if faith helps you get rid of feelings, if faith helps you just m let feelings move naturally through you, acknowledge them, accept them, but then let them go. We don't have to live there. That that can work. But all of these things require practice. They require practice on a consistent basis. We don't get rid of fear all at once. There's there's not a cure. I mean, you know, enough cocaine or heroin or whatever. And yeah, you definitely won't be feeling any kind of fear or pain or much of anything at all. But you won't be really experiencing it. You're just shunting it to the side. And And especially if you're trying to get rid of it that way, because you can't figure out a way for it to naturally move and pass on, that's, that's a problem. Uh, and holding on to even, even joy or happiness or anything, it starts to fester because, because what makes us happy today may not make us happy tomorrow, may not make us happy four minutes from now. Think of, think of how you feel after an orgasm. The orgasm can be great, but afterward you can feel kind of drained and tired and just disinterested, uh, and so it's not supposed to last forever. Otherwise, we probably would have evolved the ability to have day-long orgasms, uh, and I'm, I'm very glad we don't. That sounds exhausting. But in, in letting fear go, in letting everything go, it's just a good practice to actively let things go. So that's another tool in helping to deal with fears. Anything, anything that concerns you, if you can just go, okay, take care of this. And that's where the higher power is, is used in recovery programs, is saying, look, God, look, universe, look, Tao, look, Buddha's spirit, look, look higher self. That's like always a good one if you, if you prefer to rely, if you prefer to be self-reliant, is think of, think of the higher you, the, the pristine, perfect you that can exist, the ultimate you that you can reach. 
if you if you just want to pray to that, just say, come on, I know there is a perfect person in there. Or turn it over to your subconscious if you want. Your subconscious is way bigger and way better at dealing with things than you are. Trust me. It's a, the majority of our brain is comprised of our subconscious. Our subconscious handles a huge portion of the thinking. So allowing our cognitive brain to try to muddle through this whole mess we call life, it's never going to work. So if you can just pray and turn it over to your subconscious and say, okay, I don't know how to deal with this. I'm just going to let it go and let whatever part of my brain, whatever part of my soul, whatever part of my anima, whatever part of the universe, whatever part of the whatever you need to believe in to take this. Okay, good. That's a good use of faith. That's, that's faith that the problem can be solved, but you don't have the skills to solve it. That right there, just admitting, that's, that's humble admission of what you can and can't control. And once you acknowledge that I can't control this fear and accept that oh, this fear is part of me and are grateful for the things you do have and just let that fear be taken care of by whatever part of you or inside or out that needs to take care of it, you'll find it gets a lot better. So that is that is my little my little verbal rampage on fear. I'm hoping I'm hoping it helps you. If if any of you are out there dealing with fear, dealing with any kind of fear, I would I would be interested to hear from you. You can reach out to me by emailing me, phineascrow at gmail.com. That's Phineas with two N's. Phineas Crow or at Phineas Crow on Twitter, two N's. Let's see where else. I guess I guess Facebook.com slash Phineas Crow. Fairly easy to find. Uh, I did want to do a quick housekeeping item. I've gotten some emails about the numbers on the podcast. Uh, and they are enumerated by the number of days I've been sober. So, so like you see, it goes 101, and then I think 102, and then there's 105 or something like that. And this will be 118. That's that's the number of days I'm sober as of recording this podcast. So that's that's what the numbers are. It has nothing to do with how many podcasts I've done. You didn't miss 117 other episodes. This is just how long I've been sober. Hopefully that clears that up. Uh, I hope to hear from you all. And I hope you have a less fearful day.